The following episode of TOEFOP is rated M.A. It may contain Batman references, time travel references, sexual references, lost trains of thought, and mild course language. TOEFOP advises that the program is not suitable for anyone under the age of 15 or anyone who enjoys succinct, coherent conversation that might actually have a point. Minors must be accompanied by a parent, guardian, or priest. This is John Deke speaking. This is Tofop. I'm Charlie Clawson. I'm Will Anderson. Hello. Hey, how are you? Well, I mean, here's. I think we're growing, Charlie. I think this is a step forward for us because yeah. if, and I do say, uh, you know, that with a big capital I, capital F, if, if people <laughs> are actually hearing this podcast this week, uh, I think at least part of it is because the two of us, us have grown as human beings because as we were mm. about to record, I decided I would check how much memory was left on my card and there was not enough for this podcast. So I uh, just learned a lesson in how to delete things, which you uh, ran me through like a pilot trying to talk down a plane. Probably too soon <laughs> to make those sort of jokes from my perspective. And uh, uh, and so I deleted all my files and then you looked and you deleted your files because you were going to run out of memory as well. So there is a chance that people are actually hearing what we're saying now. Well, I didn't actually know I was going to run out of memory, but I just thought, I don't want to tempt fate. Like, because if you've done it and you've done the right thing and I cockily strut in here thinking that I've got enough memory, TOEFOP law suggests that it would run out 15 minutes in the podcast and we'd lose 15 minutes worth of content. So I just decided I'd do the right thing and I'd start with a clean slate. So, I mean, look, I, I appear to be recording. I'm looking at the little green uh, the little green volume measure and it's going up and down as I talk. But who knows, Will? I kind of feel like sometimes this podcast is a bit like you know, Will Smith in I Am Legend, where he's not sure if there's any survivors out there, but he goes out to the docks every morning and he sends out a radio broadcast just in the faint hope that maybe someone will hear it. That's how I feel this podcast is. Yeah, I mean, if anything this podcast has been about in the last seven years, I think you'll find that the one consistent theme is tempting fate. And I think the fact that we're even having this conversation right now about tempting fate is probably tempting fate and people will never hear this. Yeah, I mean, if Final Destination was about podcasts, we are being constantly hunted by the evil dark force of podcasting, the crashed memory cards, the microphones that don't work. There are evil forces afoot that when we get too cocky and we think we've outsmarted it, we were meant to lose that podcast three weeks ago and now the dark forces are chasing us to make sure we lose the next one. Well, I think you know what it is, Charlie, is that I think through our joking, through my... I admit it sometimes paranoia that the robots are going to take over. <laughs> Like, here's what's happened now. People send me correspondence when there is some new advance in artificial, like, intelligence or some, you know, super robot, mm. like, jokes to somebody that they have to keep humans in a cage at the zoo when, like, they're in charge in the future. And I get sent by this kind of community of people who think now I'm a spokesman for their weird conspiracy theories, all these articles. And, Charlie... I am even more convinced that the robots are going to take over. Our only hope is that climate change fucks with their circuitries and that evens out each other. I was uh, um, doing one of those live chats. I was trying to fix something on my phone or my coverage or whatever. And I was doing one of those live chat windows with someone at Optus. And halfway through, I was convinced that this was not an actual person. So I started interrogating saying, are you a human or are you an automated machine? It's like, no, you're, I'm a human. And I'm like, yeah. That's exactly what a machine would say. Prove it. Prove it. Tell me what love is. What, explain love to me as a concept. And this person's like, I think we can just get back to fixing out your coverage, sir. <laughs> There's this one guy and he can sort his coverage in three minutes, but he keeps asking what love is and we can't explain it. But ironically, from his end, I probably look like the machine asking, what is love? <laughs> Right. It's one of those things, two machines talking to each other in an endless loop, and that's what our society has become. Now, well, this is the thing, right? We're always convinced that these robots will have all these ethics and stuff where they won't be able to lie to mm. us. 
But they clearly will be able to lie to us because that's what business are doing already. They're getting a robot to do that sort of thing. And then they're programming the robot to fucking lie to us and pretend they're not a robot, which is the first thing the robots will need to learn for them to take over from us. Come on, guys. It's in the papers every fucking day. Wake up. See, that's what Terminator got wrong. Like the original concept for the Terminator was that it was meant to be uh, 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 like a stealth assassin machine. It was meant to be something that could blend in. It wasn't until James Cameron met Arnie that he's like, okay, no, we're going to make him this hulking Austrian oak of wood. But before that, the idea was meant to be you would not be able to pick a Terminator out from a crowd. And that makes a lot more sense for what's happening now with technology. They want to make it indiscernible from humans. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Like there was an article in the paper this week about some dickhead, and I'm going to call him what he is, some dickhead who had got his like travel pass um, like inserted in his hand, essentially, right? Like, oh, yeah, so I saw of, that. Right? So instead of, and I've been saying this for years, of course they'll put fucking chips in us. They'll put chips in us for good reasons, like, you know, um, they'll put chips in us for reasons like, you know, to help your heart or to help our immune system and stuff like that. But then they'll go, oh, you know what? You don't need to carry around your credit card all the time. Why don't you just get a chip in your wrist and then you can wave your wrist at a thing. And then who knows what other fucking chips they're going to put in us. They'll fucking, Charlie, Charlie. Yeah, yeah. And the problem is for us stoners, when someone says, hey, do you want chips? We're like, yeah, of course. I'd love, a Man, I'd love yeah. some chips. I'll put some, we'll put <laughs> chips in ourselves. That's how they'll get them yeah. in us. They're like, we're too sneaky. They'll make the chips corn flavored and covered in cheese and we'll ingest the chips voluntarily because they're sneaky fuckers, these robots. Uh, I, uh, I had a hangover for the first time in a long time yesterday. Oh, yeah. oh man, it's getting harder, man. Like I didn't even drink that much. I, I went out with some friends for uh, uh, dinner on Friday and uh, some of them wanted to go to a club. Which to me is always like, oh, like, do we have to? And so um, we're in Adelaide. Like, I didn't I even know it. that we were still allowed to. Like, I thought we were of an age where clubs were not for us anymore. I thought the young people didn't even tell us where the clubs are now. I wouldn't know where to find one. Well, this, this, well, this club, I think I, I, the, everyone that I was with, no one was local to Adelaide. So I think it was someone just went online and Googled nightclub. So it was like right. generic nightclub. <laughs> and the best way I can describe it, this place... Uh, if you were to make a direct-to-video John Wick knockoff and you had to cast a nightclub scene, <laughs> that's what this place looked like. Like fake uh, marble pillars everywhere, like palm trees in the corner. It was like a converted mansion or something. Uh, it, was, it, was pretty, it was pretty horrible. But, um, oh, no, this we is having... a John Wick, J-O-N-W-I-K. <laughs> it's a completely different character. Straight yeah, to video. W... W-Y-C-K. And we've yep. cast Kevin Reeves. <laughs> <laughs> so um, we managed to sort of like just, uh, you know, just get a little area. And the girls wanted to dance and some of the guys wanted to dance. So it was cool. It was going on fine. What sort of music so were they playing having... at this club? Uh, a lot of stuff I didn't recognize. Like there was some old stuff that I, I did recognize. I was able to kind of get my boogie on for a few things that I did recognize, but there was a lot of shit. I mean, I just, oh, I'm getting to that age where it's like, who is this and why are they shouting so much? <laughs> I don't understand. Why is this guy, why is this guy constantly telling me to put my hands in the air? I don't understand. Why? Why do we always have to put our hands in the air? Can't my hands stay by my side? I've got a bad neck at the moment. I find it hard to get my hands in the air. Can I put one hand in the air? I mean, I'll wave it around like I care a little bit, but do I have to wave around like I don't care? Well, this is the thing though, right? Like actually a lot of people don't know this, but Snoop, whose new album, by the way, is actually pretty fun. Like I downloaded yeah. it on my long drive back from Wagga Wagga and because I was feeling like a gangster, I had, you know, something in, you know, in common with Snoop, you know, I downloaded yeah. Snoop's new album and listened on the way back and it's pretty good. Like it's actually, like I was like, is this, this is a he, pretty good album. You've done. Is he, is he still in his reggae Snoop Lion phase or is he moving No, get fucked. I would not download that shit. No, this is right. Snoop. Like, it's called Never Left. It's old school. It's kind of him returning to his roots and, like, rapping about being a gangster and, like, stuff like that. It's really cool. It's fun. It's like... How does he rap, a, how does he rap about being a gangster now? Like, I mean, is it more like he's moved to the top tier of gangsterism where he's running the syndicate? Well, this is what I'm saying is you start to realize that his plan is like, I'm taking gangster to the grand scale. You know, all these right. Wall Street dudes, they're gangsters, but I'm a gangster of my own. You know, I wanted my own football league and I did it. You know what I mean? Like 
he's a gangster in his own way. But here's the other thing. He's the king of asking people to put their hands in the air. And I'm starting to think that it was just like, you know, a, a black youth health program that Snoop implemented. He was like, it was their form of calisthenics. He was like, he couldn't take aerobics to the suburbs, but he wanted young black men to be fit. So he was like, oh, yeah, I'll right. just start by asking them to put their hands in the air constantly. That's just a constant workout for the ladders you're going to have to climb as a black man in this racist society. I love that. I love that it's a secret. Snoop's grand goal is not like making bank. It's actually to fight obesity in America. Well, and also just to make the, you know, the black people stronger. Like he's going to go, yeah. I'm, I'm not only going to make them mentally stronger, I'm not only going to be a leader so that they can have someone to aspire to, but I'm literally physically going to make them stronger at my gigs. <laughs> yeah, so, well, there was a lot of hands in the air, I must say. Now, um, it was an interesting mix of people. Um, fair to say uh, uh, quite a few home and away viewers were at this, uh, were at this nightclub. So, oh, okay. Um, it was started off quite like, you know, it was fine. A few people wanted to come up and say hello. I'm cool with that. But I, then I think as the night sort of wore on, people started to drink a little more. You know, the, maybe, maybe the sort of social niceties, a bit of the, the, the walls drop, and people started feeling a bit more comfortable about that, how they'd interact with me, which culminated at one point uh, where I was talking to uh, one of my friends, and the next thing I know, I'm in a headlock. What? <laughs> I turn around. I'm in a headlock. Some woman has like put her arm around the back of my neck. And you know, I've got a bad neck at the moment. So like, it's a, if you, if, if I was a wrestler and you know, they'd been building this storyline for weeks and like I'd been attacked with a steel chair and it went across my trapezius and you know, I'd been in hospital and I'd been attacked in the hospital and they go for my neck. I've gone into the cage match and everyone knows that if Charlie gets hit in the neck, that's going to be the problem. So um, I was like, as soon as she hit my neck, I was like doubled. I was like, ah. And so like I extracted myself from the headlock and uh, the girl's gone to me. My friends tell me you're famous. And I said, oh, okay, that's great. And she's gone, are you? And I said, well, I don't know. Your friends seem to be experts on this. Why don't you go talk to them? And then she skipped past that and she's gone, you're in Home and Away, aren't you? And I said, yeah, I, yeah, I was, on, I was on Home and Away. And she's like, that's fucking shit house. <laughs> and I was like. All right. She's gone, you should leave. It's fucking shit. And I was like, well, uh, if you've been keeping up to date, you'll, you'll see that I, I actually have left Summer Bay. And then as she's ranting at me, I look down and she's wearing this kind of like low cut top and tattooed across her breast are the words, only God can judge me. <laughs> well, clearly but, we're proving that not true. Oh, I can tell you, I was judging. I was judging quite hard. <laughs> so I, uh, I, we... I think my friends very um, uh, kindly uh, could see that it was maybe an uncomfortable situation for me. So we, we moved on to the next bar. But when we got to the next bar, I said I had a couple of I drinks. also love that her like motto in life is only God can judge me. But she's happy to go around judging every <laughs> other fucker. Like, you're show <laughs> shit. Like... Hey, you mate, know what, actually, you, ca you came to this nightclub on purpose, mate. We Googled nightclub on fucking Yelp and this came up. You're making the bad choices, not me. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. I think, to be honest, I think she, she was making a clump... Because she did keep talking afterwards, but by then I was looking for the exits. I think what she was clumsily attempting to say is, you are better than that. Like, I believe in you. I think that's what she was getting at. Because she, she must have seen the look on my face and realised that this... Because um, in her head, she must have thought, look, this guy's on TV and he probably has a lot of people come up and, you know, treat him like a star. I'm going to go up. I'm going to talk to him like he's just a normal guy. I'm going to talk to him the way I talk to my friends. I'm going to put him in a headlock and I'm going to fucking break his balls like I do with my friends. A complete stranger. And then when she saw that that was not having the desired effect, I think she tried to sort of back away. But by then the die had been cast. Well, the die had been cast and it was fucking snake eyes. I wanted to get out of there. I mean, it is one of those things that, like, I occasionally run into, obviously, in my life as well, is that person who's decided their approach to me. And what they're really saying is, I'm interested enough that I wanted to come and find some way to talk to you. And my approach yeah. is, you know, that I'm going to uh, really just focus on your insecurities uh, that from a random stranger that would be pointed out to you about the bad choices you've made in your life from their perspective. And they're not even really that big a fan. So what I really like in my life is random unsolicited, unsolicited advice from people who aren't really even taking part in my career at all. <laughs> 
You know, people, I'm like, I've never seen you live, but here's my advice. You know what? I might take some advice from people who've seen me live. If someone who came and saw me the last five years comes and sees my show and goes, I think this is a real disappointment and here's why, I might go, oh, well, that's advice I could take. But you've literally just said to me, you're not paying any attention. Also, I don't like what you're wearing. Well, it's actually funny. You just made me remember. Uh, this uh, woman's approach was very similar to, do you remember when we went to the grand final in 2005? And we're outside. Someone was having a cigarette. I think we we're with a friend who's smoking. And uh, uh, I mean, I don't know if we have to name him, but a certain uh, Australian singing celebrity came up and put you in a headlock and started singing to you to prove that, you know, their next album or the next single was going to be really good. Do you remember that incident? <sighs> you know what the funny thing is? I cannot remember <laughs> until you just said that because that's a weird thing to happen. Right? Yeah. That's a weird was thing. We? Halftime at the grand final. Okay, you've got to give me some clues on who this was. I've got to fill in some bits of my own It memory. is a person that has... Uh, that, it, you guys had a, a bit of a public stoush in the past. Oh, are you serious? Yeah. Shannon Do you remember this? No. Oh, my God. Yeah, 2005. We were outside the MCG. And I think it was round about that time. It was before... It was before it got like a bit heavier. It was when you were still kind of like ribbing him. And I think that his approach was, I'll come up. I'll, it was a similar approach. It was like, I'm not going to treat him like he's a celebrity. I'm going to treat him like I treat my mates back home. I'm going to put up, sling my arm around him, put him into a tight little headlock and sing this song. And that'll prove that, you know, I got some talent. But I remember because you were looking at me like, uh, uh, like, you, uh, like a dog who'd just been caught by the dog catcher. Like the look on your eyes was like, help me, please. What have I done? Someone release me. <laughs> I can't believe that so many random things happen in my life that I've forgotten that one. Like normally, that, normally that's the sort of story you could lead with at a dinner party, but I'm racking them up by the week at the moment. I've forgotten. <laughs> I've forgotten that my arch nemesis has headlocked me at the grand final and sung his music to me. I mean, that is actually, to be honest, the ultimate form of punishment. So he got me right at my... <laughs> Your weak spot. <laughs> your, really your, back and hips, your back and hips were good back then that's a good point they've never been the same since that day maybe that was like <laughs> some sort of spell like he literally melted my hips with his singing imagine that it's like the Shannonor curse it was an ancient incantation from his people and he just cursed you it was like thinner but he did hips <laughs> I do, I do re song. and I do remember the moment at the end where he whispered in my ear you've been Shannon <laughs> so, so uh, we left this club and went to another bar and, and had a couple no. of drinks and then I headed home and I, I look I would say at most I had probably a couple of beers at dinner I think I had another drink at this nightclub and then I had a couple more beers at this bar and went home but my god like I woke up yesterday so dusty like the kind of hangover where you wake up and it's like oh like I feel like I just need to stay in bed and see if I can sleep through this but I feel so nauseous and my stomach's rumbling. I feel like I also need to eat up and put some, get up and eat or, or I'm going to be sick. It took me the better part of an entire Saturday to get over. But the reason I bring this story up is that I had the strangest dream about you. And I can only assume that it was like the tension of the night and the alcohol combined. But I'll well, also scenario. just give, give me just a little bit of information about the next day. What did you eat to recover? Like if you hung over all day, what did you what what did you end up doing? What was your approach? Uh, well, okay. So my approach was I, I got up and I felt because I find when I'm really hungover, I need to get the blood pumping. Like when I'm back in Sydney, I like to go for a swim if the weather's warm enough. I find that's a cure all for everything is just to get in the water. And so I just um, went and got a coffee and went for a walk and I started feeling a little bit better. But then I needed to eat, so I didn't go for like the traditional greasy foods i actually went clean will i actually took the opposite approach and i just cooked myself some fish and i had a salad and stuff and that didn't work and then i was like okay well maybe i need something a bit stodgier so you know when i came to lunchtime i got myself a sandwich that didn't work then i went to the footy last night well i was going to go to the footy last night so i was like well they say hair of the dog so i went and got myself a bottle of wine <laughs> Had a couple of glasses of wine before I met my friends in the foyer to go to the football. And that's when I started to feel good again. <laughs> <laughs> so the, the key to beating a hangover is to never stop drinking.
I mean, but that is the problem, right? Eventually that yeah, does get right. to be the easiest and simplest solution. You just start again. So um, yeah. I had I had a hangover a couple of weeks ago when I was down uh, the Newcastle way. Um, I ended up having a hangover on uh, a Saturday and it was a rainy Saturday in Newcastle. And then I like, did a bit of like walking through the markets, trying to find the perfect sort of market food that might cure my hangover. And I just couldn't find, there was things that were almost right, but I was looking for this thing that, you know, I knew would really help and just none of it. And I walked around and it started to rain and I was like, I just can't get, I need to eat something, you know. Um, I'm just going to go back to the hotel room and I'm going to eat. And I find this little sort of, I guess, it's like a, I don't know if it's a chain. It looked more like you're kind of based on American sort of cool new burger shop, right? Um, yeah. And I think it was mostly chicken burgers and stuff, but they had like a southern fried mushroom burger that looked pretty tasty, right? So I'm like, oh yeah, okay, mm -hmm. I'm going to have that. And I'm going to get some like fries. I'm going to like, this, this will be my meal. Right. And then I go to this place and they're, they're, it turns out they're fans of my work. So when I pick up the bag, it's like the cook put the cook puts you in a headlock <laughs> and says to you, love your fucking work, mate. You got to get off the fucking glass house though. That shows shit. Mate, I stopped doing the glass house 12 years ago. Yeah. yeah Cause exactly. it was shit. <laughs> So um, I uh, they've put in, they've written me this note and they've put in like, you know, uh, potato tots with like cheese sauce and jalapenos and mm, like just like yum. all this ex extra food. And then I just sat there for like eight hours and watched football on my phone and gradually ate my way through this entire bag of food. <laughs> watched football on your phone, not even on your laptop? Not even on my laptop. I can't work out how to get it from my phone to my laptop. I think it's the same subscription. It's a well, you know what? Anyway, this, this is boring conversation for off air. So my dream. Okay, what's your dream? So the the premise of my dream was it was Will Anderson's like testimonial, uh, like uh, benefit, not benefit concert, but it's like a gala, the Will Anderson gala. It was like in honor of uh, Will Anderson. So it was am all, I still it's alive these, or dead? You're still you're still alive. You're in like you know you're in the uh, in in the in the in the box that they put people in theaters. You know where. Um, how uh, old? No, the queen. Uh, no, it's now. It's like current day. But oh. it's like, I guess it's like the Will Jubilee, you know, gala performance. Like all these celebrities yeah. had been booked. And so uh, I was sitting down uh, in, in the front row. And, there, and the first, um, the, 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 the way that in my dream, the way it was going to go was that they were going to have the big opening musical number. And then you were going to come out and tell some jokes, thank everyone for coming, and then, like, you know, people were going to come on stage and, and do the Will Anderson performances. How was I so, going to get from the balcony to the stage that quick? Um, I don't know. I guess there's a slide or something. Well, Look, it's somebody, a dream, Somebody has not thought through the logistics <laughs> of this gig. That's all I'm saying. I need Leonardo DiCaprio to come into my dream and fucking I, just get some better <laughs> logistics going for this. I cannot get from there to there with my hips. Someone has not planned this event around me at all. It was meant to be the Adam Hills Gala, and he pulled out at the last moment and they just jammed me in. He was probably going to parasail down from the fucking box. Yeah, just scratch out your name, scratch out his name, and write Will Anderson over the top. But so the we, the lights go down, and Annie Lennox comes out to perform. But it's it's sort of like it's it's um it's not vintage Annie Lennox. This is kind of Annie Lennox now, but it's Annie Lennox has gone ultra sort of uh, dark Berlin, heavy makeup, costume, very kind of like uber dark performance. So, so she uh, starts... let me ask you this. Let me, let me, yeah. let's, let's not rush through this. I've got so many questions. Yeah. Uh, okay. Why do you think Annie but remember, Lennox... Remember, remember, remember it's a dream. So there's a lot of this stuff I can't give you accurate summations on. I, I will be guessing, but go. Yeah, that's okay. I'm, I'm willing yeah. for you to guess. I just want to flesh it out a little bit. Okay. Um, I hope this is going to be the one and only mm. time you talk about having a dream about me. So let's <laughs> let, at least linger on it. Uh, do you think you were, Annie Lennox was involved? Because that seems like a quite an untraditional choice of people in the dream. Had you read or seen that article in the paper in the last couple of days that um, Annie Lennox uh, got contacted by a US radio station who thought they were discovering her music online as like an indie artist and wanted to reach out to her and play her music? No, this is the bizarre thing is that I don't think I have ever, dis I, I hadn't read that story or heard that story. I've never discussed Annie Lennox with you, I don't think. I've no. never really talked about the Eurythmics. I don't even recall there being any Eurythmics playing at the club I was at the night before. Maybe there was in the background. I didn't notice. Maybe subconsciously I absorbed it. I thought it was an odd choice because if I was to kind of book acts for your gala performance, 
it wouldn't be Annie Lennox. Like, I mean, I'm sure you like Annie Lennox. Everyone likes Annie Lennox. She's a talented performer, but I don't really think of you and Annie Lennox, right? No, that how is a... about How do you feel about Annie Lennox? Well, here's what I would say is, firstly, if I found out like they were having a big gala that was for me, um, my first suspicion it was actually for Adam Hills and I'd been uh, nominated at the last moment would be that Annie Lennox was performing. Because I feel like, you know, he did a show that's about, you know, the history of music. Maybe he would have met her on a Spicks and Specs episode. Him and Annie have become close friends. And he always talks about, like, he's, you know, Hills is married to an opera singer. Maybe they really love, you know, powerful women singing in that way. And I admire all that as well. But I, I would not say that, you know, Annie Lennox, she'd be way down the list of people I would have thought you would have contacted before somebody said yes. <laughs> Well, she did say yes. So the lights go down. And Wonderful Annie artist, comes though, out. and it's a great privilege. <laughs> Very moody. Annie Lennox comes out, and she's got like this strange, bizarre costume and makeup and going, and the, the music starts. But she's not really singing. She starts kind of just doing this strange kind of like performance art chanting and stuff. And then she starts... <laughs> Do you think that's how we got such a high caliber act? Is this one of those situations where we've been able to book someone like Bob Dylan, but it's for a poetry festival? So, because yeah. he wants to push his poetry? Like, yeah, we've got yeah. Bob Dylan, but he's not going to sing any songs. He's only going to read his poems and you probably won't understand yeah. them because he mumbles a lot. Annie Lennox is moving into stand-up. <laughs> She's right. decided this will be the perfect space for me to do a career transition. I'll go right up before Will, uh, chat to Dave Hughes in the back in the backstage, can get a few ideas before I drop. Dave Stewart's going to play some tracks behind me. He's going. Dave Stewart's just going to be boom behind her. Do you know what? That actually makes a lot more sense why Annie might be involved in my thing. If Annie decided she wanted to start doing stand-up, mm. maybe I've run into her at a club where we were both on and I've, I've seen her and I've really dug her stuff and we've bonded over that. So there you go. That's a legitimate backstory. Good to have you involved, Annie. Okay, it's funny. I'm just trying to think of what the why the premise of why we're all there. But it, it definitely felt like a you know like uh, Michael Jackson. They would do like the it's a Michael Jackson gala performance, and you know InSync come out and do their favorite Michael Jackson song. That's what it kind of that was the vibe of it. It wasn't like a a black tie occasion. It was more of a kind of musical fame celebration a celebration of Will Anderson, the life and times of Will Anderson. But you're alive, and they have your this current um, age. In America, they have this thing. I think it's the, I mean, what's the, it's the, oh, the Mark Twain Award for comedy yes. or Mark comedy. Twain Award for yeah. humor or whatever it is. And they'll induct yeah. like Steve Martin or Jerry Seinfeld or Tina Fey or something like that. And they have a big gala and, you know, they talk and a whole bunch of people talk about them, that sort of gig. Yeah, that's, that's exactly what it felt like. I mean, and I'll get to it. I didn't really get to see many other performances because okay. uh, Annie gets on stage and she starts doing this kind of like, you know, chanting and, and you know, just uh, incoherent rambling and stuff. And then she sort of like um, Sinead O'Connor style, like holds up like the front page of like the, of the, of like the Daily Telegraph or something <laughs> with a photo of like Tony Abbott and starts tearing up like the photo. And then it's starts Tony turning Abbott. on the... Or yeah. And then <laughs> starts turning on the... reference. No. Then starts turning on the audience and being like... You're all racist. You're all racist. Australia's a racist country. You're all scumbags. Blah 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 blah. And then um, a, a group of Aboriginal this is, dancers come out. This is making a lot more sense about. This is making a lot more sense about why I booked her. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, yeah, she was on point. And then a group of Aboriginal dancers come out behind her, and they start like you know, as she's sort of ranting, you know, sort of beat poetry style. They start like dancing behind her, and she's like, you know, Australia's racist, racist, and the crowd starts booing, and it's getting like really really ugly like the lights go up in the theater and people are standing up and you know telling her to get off stage and and i'm sitting there going oh fuck like this is disastrous like what a terrible start now i can't really remember what happens from there but the next scene i remember is i'm now backstage in the green room with a bunch of no one who's like it wasn't like there was an amy there or any of your management or anything it's just a group of people there and we're all sitting around going they've like, all deserted me in my time of need yeah but I'm sitting around with like, you know, your entourage, I guess. And we're all sitting around like a bit shell-shocked. I'm like, I assume what's happened in the dream is that, you know, someone's come over the loudspeaker and said, ladies and gentlemen, we're just going to take a short break and uh, we'll be back with more entertainment at the Will Anderson Gala, you know. So now we've rushed backstage to sort of like fucking like reconvene and work out what the hell we're going to do. So we're all sitting there backstage and 
outside outside the green room, we can still hear the angry crowd like <laughs> booing and yelling and like tearing up the seats and stuff. And the general conversation amongst your entourage is like, what do we do? Do we like keep going on with the performance? Do we keep doing anything? The door opens and you walk in and you don't look very happy. In fact, you, you're kind of white as a sheet, right? And you walk up and you say to us, well, there's a thing is that I'm meant to go on now. Like it was meant to be Annie and now I'm meant to go on and do like yeah. 10 minutes of like jokes and introductions before the rest of the performance. And you're like, and you, then you've got this real like hangdog expression where you're like, ah, oh, fuck, well, I've, I've got to go, but I feel bad. Those dancers were really good. And I think, you know, if Annie had more time and I think people just misinterpreted it and the entourage were saying, well, you don't have to do it. Like, it's fine. I think we maybe just fucking like call it quits. Maybe we just like book it for another night. We sort of rethink it. And you were like, no, no, no. I've got to go out. I've got to go out and do my jokes. And I stopped you and I was like, I, I, well, I don't think this is a good idea. I, you can still hear them. They're booing. I don't think you're going out and like, A, defending Annie is going to help the situation. And B, I don't think anyone's in the mood to hear jokes anymore. But okay, you're like, let's no, pause. no, no. Let's, let's pause yeah. for a second. Because up until yeah. now, this all, like now that you're saying this, in the same way as you told me that story about Shannon and Noel earlier, I would believe this has happened now. Like the way you <laughs> described this, everything you've described is exactly how I would have been. I would have been shattered because I was like, I have to go on and there's no way I can get him back. But at the same time, I then come to the thing of going, well, it's all my night and it's about, you know, <laughs> who better than me to handle this situation? If there is a way to win him back, I'm the guy to go out there and do it and I'll take a few bullets for a start, but I reckon I can get him back and we'll get it all online. And you would have been like, you don't have to. And I'd be like, no, no, no. And look, I'll tell... I thought Annie was good, you know, like, I mean, it's provocative, but we've got a lot of the same themes and. <laughs> no, it was actually, I think, I mean, reading between the lines, I think what you were saying to me, you were trying in your, in your mind, you were trying to be okay with what had happened, but I could tell that you were actually pretty upset by the state of affairs. Right. Like you were trying to work out how it had gotten to this point. How had Annie Lennox been vetted? Like, it seemed almost as if when Annie had been booked, she said, I'm going to come out and sing Sweet Dreams and oh, that's right. it. But what she'd done is a bit of Merlin on Big Brother and she'd come out with like tape over her mouth, free the refugees, you know, like and done this big political statement, angered the crowd. Rita Panini was already on her fucking like Twitter, like writing about the fucking angry left. Andrew Bolt fucking had material. He was rubbing his hands together. But and you were and you were pissed off because you'd been put in this situation that you then had right. to rescue. Yeah, I didn't even want to do this fucking night. <laughs> I mean, it's about me, and I have to do a fucking set now. This is bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I can't really remember the the dream sort of tapers off after that. I do seem to recall you actually you did make it onto stage, but I can't remember what happened after that. I don't know how the gig went. Like again, maybe we'll need to call Leo. Uh, get back into my deep there. I don't know what level of my subconscious it was. I don't know how many kicks it would take me to get out of that that, that dream state. But, uh, oh, God, I hope there's a sequel. It was pretty intense. It'd be great if people were like, uh, are you right? Charlie's been flying back and forward from Adelaide a lot. Does he have a new job over there or something like that? No, 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 no. He's just trying to get deeper and deeper to work out this dream he had about Will. Adelaide's the perfect amount of time for a flight. You can get in there the dream. Uh, if we have to go any deeper, we're going to have to book a flight to Perth. Yeah, I've just bought a spinning top just to make sure I can tell if this is a dream world or fake. I mean, imagine if that's the case, right? Imagine if this is the dream world. You're back, us losing the podcast, us recording two shows that never make it to air. I mean, I would be more inclined to believe that that is the world in which reality does not apply and the world in which you have a gala performance in which Annie Lennox tears up a photo of Abbott. That's the real world. Oh, there are so many things that have happened to me this year that if you believe that idea of quantum mechanics, if you believe the idea of there being multi-universes and, you know, pivotal points, you know, other scenarios, the choose-your-own-adventure oversimplification of that idea, right, which is the sliding doors thing, that you can have different mm. lives. There's been so many things that have happened to me this year that I, I do often have sympathy for people in other universes. <laughs> like where you're just like, oh, fuck, that would have played out really bad for you. Sorry, mate. <laughs> I'm glad in my universe it was okay. But I guess if there's another universe where that didn't go okay, uh, sorry, Tiger. <laughs> uh, so uh, 
that's it. That's the end of the dream. Yeah, man. Sorry. I wish I know. It's always annoying when people tell you dream stories because, you know, it's like I've had the weirdest dream but I that's why I texted you guys yesterday to say can you just remind me about that because tiding with the hangover like that was the intense stressful dream I had and then I woke up to like a fucking shocking hangover so I mean I'm assuming the alcohol played a part in that like you know the 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 din of the crowd booing you was probably like the whiskey trying to work its way through my system (laughs) yeah whiskey's never been a big fan of mine so (laughs) that makes sense (laughs) Were you on, do you think, at this like tribute, this night? Had, like, was, no, were no, you no, doing no. something? No, no. I was definitely just there uh, as support. I, I, I mean, I was, I was happy. You put me in the front row. I was pretty happy yeah. with that. You didn't stick me up the back near the, near the kitchen or anything like that. Still, still feels like something you should have got an invite to before Annie Lennox. Unless Annie Lennox <laughs> and I had some like podcast together in this universe. Maybe you do. The Eurythmop. Eurythmop podcast. <laughs> Yeah, it's all about mobs. Two guys, one got nothing. <laughs> and this is the moment I decide to leave you for Annie Lennox. Yeah. She actually had <laughs> three is... really good riffs on that. She's she's really good off the top of her head. <laughs> Be great if, like, you know, um, uh, you found out that Annie Lennox also was... I mean, she might be brilliant. So, funny. by the Where way, she... I've noticed you say Annie Lennox. Like, you are emphasizing the... Am I saying... I'm saying Annie Lennox. Is that wrong? Lennox. Oh, maybe not. I don't know. I actually don't know. I've got no idea. I, I feel like I'm overemphasizing it. I think maybe I'm probably wrong. Annie Lennox. Annie Lennox? I mean, it's spelled Annie Lennox. But I guess, you know, it could be Lennox. That makes sense. Right, that's how people say things like yeah. that. I don't know. Um, I just, I just don't. Right. I just don't want to look like an idiot, Will. <laughs> I'm going to tell you this little story though. Did you see this story about the record, the record, the radio station? So no, here's the head. Tell me. Okay, so uh, sweet dreams are made of this. Annie Lennox has sold more than 80 million records and won a swag of Grammys and Brit Awards, but it didn't stop a blissfully unaware LA talent scout offering to make her a star. Kylie, the coordinator for a Los Angeles radio station, thought she discovered an amazing new talent and made the woman she thought was an unknown singer an offer to forward her one of her singles to Glenn, our program director, because Lennox had potential. Uh, the woman uh, named by industry rival Rolling Stone is one of the hundreds of greatest singers of all time, uh, hilariously posted a letter to her Twitter account. Uh, and Facebook words with the, uh, I think I'm in with a chance. So, yeah. So yes. <laughs> well, she can do stand-up. There you go. Well, That's maybe it's launched from this moment. Maybe what you haven't had is a dream. Maybe you've had like one of those sort of, you know, you can see into the future, but only like a week into the future or whatever. So maybe a, off the back a of A premonition. This, yeah, you've had a premonition. Well, yeah. Okay. So what if in a year from now, because it's going to take... Say, say Annie Lennox gets some, you know, a few talk shows and tonight shows and stuff like that off the back of this. Hang on. How many years have you been working? Like, what, are you coming up to an anniversary at any stage? Not really. But I imagine in this scenario, I am probably dying. The only way you're going to get all those people together <laughs> to do something that's a tribute to me means that I've got some terminal disease and everybody's decided to throw me a funeral while I'm still alive. And I appreciate all right. it. I'd love to see okay. it. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That's the only way we can get you there. Yeah, so some sometime between now and like a year from now, I contract a, like a, a a very life threatening disease, and oh, uh, and Annie Lennox becomes really really like famous comedically because she does all these Tonight shows off the back of this incident. Uh, they find out she's hilarious. Uh, she's back in the news again, but it's mostly for her like witty banter rather than her singing. And uh, yeah. then yeah, this scenario plays out. So they have this benefit. Lennox is in town. She's in Australia. Mm. Like when they get someone for the Logies. And the reason they've yeah. got them to perform is they were coming to Australia anyway and it fit in. Yeah. So it's like yeah. that. Annie Lennox is out touring. Uh, someone decides it's a good idea to get her to do something for my for my benefit. Get Annie Lennox involved. Yeah. We'll raise a bit of extra money. Yeah. Okay. That, that makes sense. She gets badly briefed about Tony Abbott or maybe in this scenario a year from now. Okay. So here's what happens. Uh, a year yeah. from now, Tony Abbott's back in power, right? Yeah. Judging back. by the history of Australian politics, this is likely to happen. 
Okay. How many of these things would you need to happen for you to start to believe that you might actually have like some power of premonition? So these are the three that we have to look out for. I get a terminal okay. disease, right? Annie Lennox starts doing like stand up and comedy. Yeah. And Tony Abbott becomes Prime Minister of Australia again. How many of those would you need to happen to think, oh, hang on, maybe I've got a premonition? I only think, to be honest, I only think I need one thing to happen. One, right? I, yeah, I, if I one of think... those three things happens, I will certainly believe that you might have just had a premonition and I will start to get my fucking health checked at the very least. <laughs> yeah. Like, honestly, I feel like the only thing that needs to start this domino effect is for Tony Abbott to get back in power. Because that seems to be, in the dream, that was the inciting incident. Like, it wasn't you dying... And it wasn't Annie doing stand-up comedy. The whole reason the fucking thing went off the rails is that Annie decided to get political about Tony Abbott. So the other two things happening, like Annie getting into stand-up and you getting a terminal disease, doesn't matter because if those two things happen, then she comes and does a fucking tight 10 minutes and everyone loves it and then we you know, go to your intro and then Dave Hughes is on. <laughs> but Tony Abbott has to be there for her to rail against something, right? Okay, so... Here's what I think has happened. Uh, and here's what here's what I would say to you. And this is why it's so easy for people to believe fake news and we live in this world where you can't verify facts and people believe bullshit all the time. Is because mm. this is how our brains work, right? I'm going to yeah. say to you, I know honestly this makes no sense at all. But if Tony Abbott became Prime Minister of Australia again, I would go and get a full medical. <laughs> Just based on this scenario. Because Lennox can come in last minute. We don't need that to start happening now. All if, yeah. if Abbott became Prime Minister again, I would go and get a health check just in case. That's how superstitions and voodoo start. Okay, so just so these dominoes start falling down. So first things to happen is that Abbott gets into power, right? And then you go see your doctor and he's got some bad news for you. You know, you've got a, you've got a terminal illness. That's the next thing to happen. What if the Annie Lennox thing doesn't come to pass, but it's an equivalent, like, I don't know, um, um, Joan Jett is in town. <laughs> like, Joan, like in your last three months of doing gigs at the Comedy Store and Joan Jett just happens to be in the crowd and she comes up afterwards and is like, hey, look, I really enjoyed your show. Um, I've been thinking a long time about um, getting into stand-up comedy. You know, uh, do you mind if I just send you some bits I've been writing, blah, blah, blah. Would you still get nervous or would you start to think, well, maybe this isn't going to play out like Charlie Dreamt? Yeah, well, that would be that, like, you know, slightly different thing in a different universe, right? Yeah. Like, you know, that idea that, like, you know, the two universe, the fringe kind of concept where the two universes are almost the same, but one's got the Twin Towers. Well, then you think, well, yeah. things might work out differently in other ways here as well. There'd be enough sort of, I'd be like, maybe that's a good sign. Like, it'd be a good sign that in this universe, you know... Uh, it turns out well, that Joan Jett doesn't just love rock and roll. She loves stand-up comedy as well. And she's <laughs> decided to get involved. Well, what, 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 are, what about, what are the, I mean, it could also happen because there are infinite universes, infinite possibilities. Tony Abbott gets into power. You got a terminal illness. Um, Annie Lennox wants to do stand-up and agrees to open your show. But it goes really well. Like she comes out and does sweet dreams and blows the lid off the place. You know, like that could also happen, right? Yeah, I guess it'd be one of those gigs where I would say, like, I'd have to reconcile with myself with the idea that I'm fine with this, however it goes. Like, yeah, there's yeah. a chance that I roll the dice that I will, you know, have a terrible night, but there's a chance that if I roll the dice, it'll be a good night. But even going into it knowing that it's a terrible night, I think you'd find yeah. fun in it in that way. You'd be able to look at it from a distance, step back from the incident itself and kind of have a reflective look at it from outside the incident and go, oh yeah, this is fun. Like because drama, would you, you know. Well, would you, would you, if to safeguard against, you know, any railing, um, railing against uh, Tony Abbott, could you maybe, because in this dream it was fairly specific her look, right, and the you know the Daily Telegraph cover and all that kind of stuff. So maybe she, you know, you just make sure she doesn't have any of that makeup or that wardrobe in a room, like you know. You supply the wardrobe and the makeup and it's all just like completely different to what I dreamt. And you make sure there's no newspapers available. She can't get access to a newspaper. Does that then trick fate? No, because here's the thing. Like, right. 
is this idea of you never know what the triggering factor is. You know, they talk about the First World War as being started by like, you know, when someone shot, you know, Ferdinand, Ferdinand. or whatever, right? Yeah, the band. The, shot the band, band Fran Ferdinand, who were time travellers. Yeah. And, and it set in motion a chain of events that have resulted <laughs> in us here today on this podcast. Um, you can't refer to one incident specifically most of the time. You never know what the instigating factor is. How about if they were going to do their normal act, but then you didn't give them the makeup they needed for that. And that was the thing that set them off. And they were like, well, fuck you then. I'm going to really go, you know, lean into it. And yeah, you know, like you never know what the instigating factor is. Like you've just got to let it play yeah. out, I guess. Yeah. Okay. So that, that's suggesting that, um, uh, that, that everything is determined no matter how you try and bend the river, it will always flow in the same direction to the same point. Yeah, but that's not the idea of that quantum thing, which is that, you know, every time one of those things happens, all the various possibilities play their way out. So, you know, there'll be one where it goes, there'll be one where it goes really great, right through to the one where, like, it goes much terribly than the one that you imagined, right? Well, okay, let's say things are going to go as as predetermined, as I, as I envisioned. How do you use that to your advantage? Knowing that that is going to be the sequence of events, knowing that there is going to be... Um, you know, this uh, fierce political statement, there's going to be an almost riot and you're going to have to go on. Well, at least you can get a head start on writing your 10 minutes. Like, right. because you know what's going to happen, you could, and this is perfect because if you are going to die, what a way to go out. You, your swan song will be the most tightly scripted, perfect 10 minutes of stand up ever because you know exactly what's going to happen. Well, that's my best case scenario, right? Like, yeah, you know, totally. that's, that's me, you know, at the end of Young Guns going out in a blaze of glory. That's my, like, I already have a terminal illness. That's been pre-established. Tony Abbott's back in charge of Australia, so I have nothing to fucking live for. And then <laughs> <laughs> what I do have, just before I die, I want to have a taste of what uh, Dave Hughes does every year, which I think is the hardest gig in stand-up comedy, which is the opening of mm. the Logies. I honestly, as a comedian, think if you can make that room laugh, that's probably as hard a gig as you're going to do in Australian comedy. And I don't want to do the fucking Logies, but I want to have that experience. So the only way I can replicate it is to create this environment where Annie Lennox takes them down and then I stand on like the, the deck of the Titanic. The orchestra have fucked off and I'm still doing my stand-up and making witty jokes about it on the way down <laughs> well that's actually an interesting point you raise because considering it is your gala you'd think that the the, the the house would be packed with your bloody limousine liberals you bloody your bloody lefty mate so Annie Lennox coming out and making that statement you think would get a standing ovation I wonder why she was very angry though I do seem to recall like the crowd did not take it it was the direct attack on them I think I mean but in reality, it probably wouldn't unfold that way. Imagine anyone who's buying a ticket to your gala is someone who is a fan of your work and your particular political leanings, right? Yeah, they'd be like, finally, someone who's actually telling it like it is. <laughs> I mean, Ant Anderson talks too much about contradictions and not knowing about stuff. This is actually what I crave for him. I do think there's an element of my audience who would much prefer it if I just came out and like in simplistic ways went, these people are terrible and these people are great and have not enjoyed uh, the progress in my career where I try to paint, you know, various shades of grey. That like there's, <laughs> there's a few that like when you actually do one of those sort of things that goes back to just sort of black and white, here's the enemy, here's the black hat, here's the white hat, that they're like, nah, this is what we came for, mate. <laughs> yeah. Like going to see Andrew Dice Clay and being pissed off that he doesn't just want to do riddles. <laughs> just do your fucking riddles, mate. I don't want to hear your misogynist thoughts on modern day society. Do your fucking riddles. Annie Lennox comes out and she's like, hickory dickory dock, Tony Abbott can suck my cock. <laughs> Jack and Jill went up the hill, not Jack and Jack, because you're backwards motherfuckers, Australia. I'm Annie Lennox, my girl. <laughs> Unbelievable. <laughs> Annie Lennox in a rhinestone studded leather jacket, smoking. <laughs> Just like that. <laughs> Annie, di changed... Annie, dice Annie Dice Clay. <laughs> oh, it was, no, think... She just changed Annie Dice Leg at Lennox. She just keeps, <laughs> she just puts dice in the middle. 
Uh, I love it. I want to see any dice Lennox. <laughs> that, that's, her, that's her act. She's like, sweet dreams are made of this pussy. Mic drop. <laughs> any dice Lennox. <laughs> Man. All right. What, what else? You, what else you got? <laughs> oh, we should talk about. Uh, I mean, this is more of a, a two guys one cup thing, but it definitely blends over into the Tofop universe. Uh, last night on the Gold Coast at the uh, Suns Kangaroos game, a certain Tofop celebrity was in the crowd. Do you want to take it from Look, here, Will? I do. Well, here's the first thing: is like I was watching a pretty terrible game of football, the Gold Coast North Melbourne game, but I was watching because it was Gary Ab. Anyway, we'll talk more about the football side of it on our football podcast. But yes, there was a crossover moment in our universes because at this Gold Coast game, in the Gold Coast of all places, Charlie, yeah, a yeah. place that has not brought me a lot of joy of late, the Gold Coast of Australia. <laughs> but last night it brought me a little bit of joy when in the crowd, eating a magnum and being completely disinterested in the football game was none <laughs> other than Jean-Claude Van Damme, uh, my next door neighbour in Los Angeles. Did you intentionally say Jean-Claude Van Damme? Oh, shit. Uh, Dolph Lundgren, <laughs> sorry. No, I didn't. Mean, I did not. I literally just stopped concentrating at the end but i think i just saw an ultra tune ad sorry just before i started doing the podcast uh, oh, was none other. I, this fucking multiple universe theory is just gaining steam because in oh an alternate God. timeline we talk about jean-claude jean-glan van damme is your neighbor and we talk about him all the time <sighs> yeah see that's yeah that is that would be the case right that would be another signal okay if jean-claude yeah. van damme moved into my apartment block in Los Angeles. <laughs> Would that be enough of a sign? <laughs> Sorry. Dolph Lundgren. Dolph Lundgren was there. It was um, odd. pretty amazing. It was odd. Because I was, uh, I was um, at, the, at a footy game in Adelaide and you sent me a text. I didn't know what it was at first because you just sent me two video files with no explanation. And I was sitting like in the crowd. And uh, the game I went to was also quite uninspiring. But the biggest cheer um, I gave all night was when I pressed play on that video and was like, holy shit, it's Dolph. I mean, it is so weird. It is so weird that like, I mean, he's come to us. Like we have, there's something going on that you and I don't quite understand. It's like where, it's like where kids mucking around with a Ouija board or something like that. We're just fucking, you know, playing around trying to speak to Jimi Hendrix, but we're opening these fucking dark forces, like these unseen forces that we can't control. We're getting like this sort of like childlike enjoyment from, oh, isn't that funny that this happens? But who knows what we're doing here? What alchemy is afoot? Oh, yeah, no, it's like one of those things where at the end, uh, we'd find out that it was all a massive conspiracy and that somebody had been trying to protect us through this entire thing. And they'd been sending Dolph, like like the Terminator, you know, Dolph to help us, not to actually harm us. He was there to kind yeah. of warn us. He was the constant. We were meant to see this glitch in the Matrix, like the Dolph is the glitcher in our Matrix. Like how many more signs could I have fucking sent you? Like I put his name on your fucking, like at the front of your building. I moved him into your building. You, how, yeah. how can you not understand that you're in the middle of the Dolph apocalypse? Yeah, totally. Like if it was an M. Night Shyamalan film, it's right. like he is the key to saving the universe. And the fates could not have made it more blatant to us. They keep putting him in front of us. Yet we well, are we're too like, dumb. We're like one of those Joss Whedon universes where like, you know, in the early days of like Buffy, there'd be characters yeah. like in that show that would like be at parties and regular characters, but they'd never have a line or anything, but they'd clearly mm. be kind of featured extras and then they're like mm. uh, two seasons later they would turn into like major characters and character arcs that were on the show it feels or, like or even, we should have noticed even, Dolph at the party yeah or even more than that like in season five of Buffy when Dawn is introduced and there's just no explanation but it turns out that like she's the key right right like maybe there was no Dolph before Tofop maybe all this thing about Rocky Four and, and Ivan Drago and stuff, that's actually just an implanted memory. Like there was, because he's so, been so consistent, particularly in the last 12 months. Something is happening, Will. I'm telling you, Dolph is the if, key. In every, if that's been the implanted memory for us. In, every, in the real universe, the one we're meant to be living in, uh, they, uh, they only made three Rocky movies. 
Like that's the yes. thing that they know. That's the time travelers to this universe. They know this is a weird universe because like the, the running joke in the kind of thing is that, that there's so many Rocky movies that we keep making Rocky movies, right? And they only yeah. made so many. So they've been sending Dolph. They made the Bulldogs win the premiership. They've been trying to send every signal that this is an upside down universe and that we need to like get out of here, but we just can't wake up. It's making more and more sensible because remember when we started this podcast, it was like, I'm like this fucking shitty unemployed actor. I don't know what the hell I'm got, what happening. And then a, a shift happened where, you know, the show got successful. I started working and then Dolph came into our lives. We yeah. have to go back and find out where the tipping point was. There is a fracture in the timeline in which we have unwittingly stepped into an altar. The thing is, we're so blissfully ignorant of it too. We're like the Abbott and Costello of like, you know, major uh, 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 universe altering events. We just stumble our way through just laughing at the coincidences without reading between the lines. It makes a lot of sense now that you come to talk about it because if you were going to put someone in some sort of mm. like artificial stasis, you put them in some program, you know, yes. like alien style. A, si a simulated reality. Right, and it's something that is pleasing to them whether they'll never ask too many questions, right? Like, yes. where is more pleasing than Summer Bay? Like, they've put yeah. you in an ideal, ideal situation. You, I mean, look at how good you look now. That's clearly mm. an alternative Fake. universe, you. Like, I mean, you didn't <laughs> used to, like, work out all the time and, like, look after your health in this way. They've, put, they've made the idyllic Charlie, right? And they've kept yeah. us in this universe. Like, I mean, in what real universe would two successful people still have a podcast that they yeah. can't record and goes out for free? Like, this is clearly... Like, this podcast is the kind of thing at the heart of it. So there must be some key in this podcast that's important. On some spaceship somewhere, you and I are both in a pod, bloated, hooked up to machines with giant smiles on our faces. You know what I like is, if that idea, that pop culture rendering of you know, the quantum universe was true, mm. doesn't it mean, because we've talked about it now, there is another universe where it happened? Yeah. That'd yeah, be totally. the cool well, thing. Yeah, 100%. But how, do we, but how do you solve the clue? Like in those films where someone is in a constructed reality generally the way it goes is that person starts you know neo style starts seeing glitches starts to question their reality then sees behind the curtain and then has to sort of make the choice of okay well do i just stay blissfully ignorant or do i go into this new reality and then the constant question is but is this reality is there another layer of reality upon this reality in fact this whole conversation like thematically if you want to theme this episode has all been about the nature of reality it started with the talk about a dream and now we're questioning our own existence right i mean i can't remember fucking shannon Noel singing to me and that's something that i should fucking remember like i'm starting that is to true. doubt i'm starting to doubt a lot of things right I maybe was recently... maybe we're maybe we're not even friends like that's the thing maybe we don't actually know each other maybe we're two strangers maybe all right maybe we are if it was like a Scientology kind of parable, there is, you know, there was a warring nation on a planet far, far away. You and I were the two warlords who had rendered this planet like uninhabitable. And the only way to protect the universe was to separate us, put us into stasis and plug us with these um, placating dreams of, hey, we just hang around and we just talk shit and we have this podcast and, you know, I'm an actor and I tell jokes for a living and it's this fine existence. But they're suppressing our warlord tendencies. I mean, I think there's something in what you're saying. That's all I'm like, <laughs> like, I feel like if this was like a Spike Jones movie, the reveal would be because you had that conversation at the start about the fact that you were online and you couldn't tell if the person was a robot or not. And you were talking to them. The reveal at the end would be that I was a robot. Yeah. That me, that I've been a robot this whole time. And this is the future that you live in now is that we don't know each other. We're not friends. And this is an entire simulation that you're doing at the moment. So why would this simulation make this podcast so bad? <laughs> like, <laughs> why would, like, I mean, I don't understand that everything else, they've given me a beautiful wife. They've given me a career that's going well. Why would they give me this fucking shitty podcast that I spend hours and hours doing for no reward? And that is the existential, existential question at the heart of all religion, right? Yeah. Like is like, you know, if there is a God, then why would that God have babies dying or these sort of things? And the answer is always that it's a test. It's a test from God. Yeah. 
So yeah. that's what we've got to look at this podcast as, Charlie. It's a test. Because because if our lives were... And that's why your back's hurt and, and your hips. Because if our lives were too perfect, it's ingrained in human nature that we would question. We're suspicious of contentment. So when they were programming the simulation pod to keep us placated, they're like, well, we have to give them a, a, a burden. We have to give them a couple of things that aren't perfect in their lives, but not so great that they fight against the system and want to commit suicide and then extract themselves from the simulation because that's what will happen. The worst thing for them would be for us to commit suicide because if we commit suicide, then we wake up from this dream and then we're out and we can go back to being warlords again. So well, it's Westworld, right? Given, it's Westworld. Yes. Like, we're in our loop. These you know, violent... Like, but that's what it is, right? Like, this podcast yeah. is our loop. We, we go to our comfort little zone and we do our little podcast. And occasionally, when one doesn't record, that's because something goes wrong in our loop and it's meant to be a sign. We're meant to see Dolph. Dolph's, you know, this. You know, we don't know who he is. He's your sort of you know, your man in black that you don't know the story yeah. of. Yeah. So Dolph could be the guy. I mean, maybe Dolph is the guy. Maybe Dolph is the guy who programmed the simulation that we're in. Oh, that would make like, sense. Oh, yeah, right. And that, I mean, because if you think metaphorically, he lives in the apartment above you. He's literally above you. Yeah. He has the penthouse suite. I mean, we talk about him in reverent terms. We are afraid, you know, we were, I was shy about approaching him. We discussed how, like he's installed himself as almost a deity in this simulated reality. It's a perfect foil. He can keep an eye on us, but he knows that we are not going to question or challenge. And think about what Dolph represents as a male, physically capable, imposing, karate champion, MIT graduate. You know what I mean? Like this simulated character is uh, the, the, the closest you'll get to a god in human form. I mean, and the other thing about that is that he's literally inserted himself in places that we wouldn't even look to find him. That's the mm. thing, right? Like it's it's like yeah. a Stan it's like a Stan Lee cameo, you know. You, yeah. you you don't really look for it, but you know it's coming at some stage, right? And to, yeah. for him to be like for me to be home alone on a Saturday night watching Gold Coast versus North Melbourne, hello ladies, um, <laughs> and then to see him there on the television. And for them to make a Rocky Four reference. Like, not only was he on, but they literally made a reference to Rocky Four. Less than one week ago, you took a photo of the television because after the football, there was a Rocky marathon on. <sighs> Rocky Four, then Rocky Five. I mean, if they're trying to send you a signal that the glitch is that there are more than one Rocky movies, like they mentioned. Sylvester Stallone in this like cross at the football, an implausible place, a place that you would actually never find. Like it is more plausible that he lives in the same apartment block as me, which now that I start to think about it is completely implausible. What life am yeah. I living? I'm from Anderson's road. My dad lives on the road that his dad was, yeah, my dad was born on that fucking road. And apparently I live in Hollywood in an apartment with Jean-Claude Van Damme. That Dolph Lundgren. Bull no, you said Jean-Claude Van Damme oh, again. Again, sorry. That's the yeah. glitch. Yeah, that's the glitch. See, the, your implant is starting to fray. See, if we I cut mean, to the spaceship, your bloated body is starting to thrush about in your incubation, incubation tube because you're rejecting the implant. Right now, Dolph, the real Dolph, true. is like, he's frantically pressing buttons on the computer saying oh. Anderson is trying to break the program. Oh, it is. And maybe it's actually not Dolph that is the signal. Dolph is the controlling force. Dolph is the Anthony Hopkins. It's Jean-Claude Van Damme is the man in black. <laughs> because that Ultra Tune ad is so bizarre. It is so yeah. incongruous with anything, with anything to do with reality. That is the thing. That is the black, uh, the black cat in the matrix that you're like, oh, that's weird. What, what is that? What is that? It does, makes no sense. Is there a chance that they are like Terminator style? They're two people battling each other throughout time. And they're yes. both try like so they're both trying to kind of and that's what we're seeing. Universal soldier. Right. That's the clue. <laughs> Universal soldier's the clue. That is the simulated metaphor for their relationship. They were mortal enemies. The only way um, you know, our our brains could explain it to us is to put it in the form of a kind of cheesy early a 90s story action through film. mythology. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. The idea that the story exactly. of the universe leaks through to our art and that's how it's distributed. And Jean-Claude Van Damme was in a movie called Time Cop. 
I mean, it, it's all starting to make a lot of sense. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> all right, let's uh, wrap it up there. It's Sunday. You've probably got um, uh, a lot of TV football to watch on your own, on your iPhone. <laughs> I've got things I need to do. Um, just so you, people know, we have a, a, a website uh, where it's your one-stop shop for all your TOEFOP needs. Um, you can find not just this podcast, but uh, our AFL podcast. It's your Toe Shop. Cup. It's your toy shop. Beautiful. Tag it. Um, uh, two, <laughs> Seven two and a half years cup. in. Still coming up with stuff. <laughs> Philosophy. Uh, faux fop, which is like this, but uh, Will talking to people who are much funnier than me, a, a wide, very guest. Is, is Lindsay Webb the latest one of that? That's up at the moment? There's a uh, Lindsay Webb. When I'm back in the US, uh, I'm going to do some with Dave. And uh, Oh, by the way, this is as good a time to mention this as any. Mm-hmm. Uh, we uh, are going to the Los Angeles Podcast Festival uh, to yes. do our show, TOEFOP. And I asked some people if they'd do it. So Gareth is in and Matt Kirshen is in and Laura Great. House is in. And um, I assume Dave will be in. Uh, uh, Graham Melwood is in. So getting the gang awesome. back together. Jen Kirkman's on tour, unfortunately, so I'm going to think of somebody else. Uh, but it's going to be like pro- old school fun times for Tofop at the LA Podfest. I would be excited about that if it wasn't for the fact that they're all just figments of our imagination. <laughs> I mean, but good lineup though. I booked the yeah. figments much earlier than I ever have. I was pretty proud of myself for that. <laughs> Normally that's uh, a week before. But, you know, uh, we will be doing some other live podcasts. If uh, there's going to be, I, I don't know, it hasn't been announced yet, so I don't think that okay. we should announce it. But um, no, it's uh, but we, let's just say, like, in keeping with the theme of like improbable events, there could be a TOEFOP live performance that will make you scratch your head and go, How did this happen? Well, Charlie, if we were looking for clues that this universe is not a real universe, the fact that we might be doing this podcast that is sometimes recorded at the most prestigious venue in Australia. And if, if there's any clue that we need to wake up, sheeple, it's got to be that. If you'd like to support our delusions, uh, we have a Patreon page. Um, oh, yeah. Patreon.com forward slash TOEFOP. You can also find us on Facebook. Uh, find us on Twitter. Uh, Will and I are both on Twitter. Uh, do you have any shows? Oh, no, you're, you're, you're in a, a period of um, uh, respite, right? Yeah, but I am going to mention this, that I um, uh, Montreal Just for Laughs Comedy Festival is only, well, it's like uh, end of this month. So uh, I am doing six shows. Uh, which is the most I've ever done. Uh, look, in the previous years, I've done one, like, uh, I, this is my hour-long show, Critically Will. Um, uh, I, I've done one of them previous years, and it's sold out, which is great, but now I'm doing six, and I feel like that's mm. a real big jump. So if you are going to be in Montreal, uh, come out and see us at, at the Montreal uh, Just the Last Comedy Festival. I'll be doing gigs around town there as well, but yeah, that's the one that I want to plug. And I am coming to Vermont, uh, to do a comedy club in Vermont. So if you listen in that part of the world, um, I'll give you more details when I have them. Uh, Will, can I just suggest uh, for your shows, you get uh, Annie Dice Lennox as your opening act and she can just come out and rip up a photo of uh, Justin Trudeau on the front of a newspaper. <laughs> I'm Charlie Clawson. I am Will Dice Anderson. Or are you? <laughs> <laughs>